XM Radio. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America. But we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting-edge research at Penn Vet into equine health and safety. And we endorse the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. Who are you betting on? How about an app created specifically for horse racing? Naira Bets. We specialize in thundering hooves, fist pumping, and boosting your bankroll with robust weekly promotions. And offer betting tips from actual horse racing experts. Bet all day and night nationwide. Get the action of thrill horse racing with Naira Bets. $200 deposit match with promo Steve200. Visit NairaBets.com for details. The Ponds family's Country Life and Maryland Farms are the place for breeding and racing in the Mid-Atlantic. Country Life is nationally recognized for making stallions and currently stands the Mid-Atlantic's leading first and second crop sires, Divining Rod by Tappan and Mosler by Warfront, as well as Friesian Fire. Maryland's 5-8 mile training track completes the full-service facilities from the folding barn to the racetrack. Join the excitement of racing with Country Life Farm, where our partnerships can take you from beginning to winning. Your career in horse racing off to a fast start? Well, the University of Arizona's Racetrack Industry Program is your winning ticket. The Racetrack Industry Program has served as a springboard to some of the industry's most successful individuals with a proven track record of job placement right out of college. If you want to earn a degree in the exciting horse racing industry, the Racetrack Industry Program can put you in the winner's circle. Visit ua-rtip.org today. Why, in the past decade, has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bred racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Leader Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. Horsebills.com is a cost-effective, time-saving paperless revolution. Vendors are able to generate electronic invoices for owners and other vendors who can pay through Horsebills.com for just 50 cents. Turn hours of work into minutes with our easy-to-use site. Have our team take over your bookkeeping or continue to do it yourself and pay only our low monthly subscription fee. Check out our video tutorial on the Horsebills.com YouTube channel and get started today for free. Horsebills.com. Toll-free number 888-938-4643. Well, I think, I'm guessing we're back. And, uh, you know, since, since we didn't get... Uh, an audio in i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna give you one because uh, i did notice earlier this morning uh and let's see if i can do this without uh without screwing it up and, uh, and then we got to get joe clancy in here but uh the uh there you go 
It's uh, Petula Clark's 91st birthday, if you can believe that. And you want to you, you feel old, I guess. Uh, 91 years old today. Petula Clark. And I, I'm going to be 64 on Monday. Uh, and uh, Pet Clark was, I, I just remember... You know, but it's funny. My parents, my parents had different musical taste. Uh, my dad, you know, traditional jazz and opera. You know, having grown up in Vienna, uh, my mother, my mother liked, my mother liked uh, pop. Um, but they, there, there, there was always a, an occasional funny, you know, pop record that made it into the collection. I mean, when I was, you know, downtown is from mid '60s. And uh, and I, I remember the, the Petula Clark was was one of those uh, you know pop artists that I, I can remember being a kid and and yeah you know, and of course yeah you know, when you're with your mother particularly in the car you know going to the grocery store and stuff right uh, the things that that she would play. Uh, Got me. So anyway, I saw that this morning, and I, I uh, it got me, uh, got me nostalgic, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not great with the birthday, to be honest. Yeah, the, the birthday. I don't know. I, uh, I get, uh, I get a little maudlin. I must, I must admit, I, I. <laughs> I uh, it's kind of a tendency. Uh, I I don't know. I, maybe we'll see what Joe Clancy had. Joe Joe Joe's a little bit. I think Joe's a little. Yeah, Joe's got to be younger than me uh, because he's got that that sixty five attached to his uh, attached to his uh, Twitter address. Joe Clancy sixty five, and so I assume that's the year you were born. Yeah, it's not the it's not the millions of dollars I have in the bank. So no. you know. Yeah. There you go. It, 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 uh, I just I I should have brought you on earlier, but uh, I I I played uh, Downtown by Petula Clark. It's her it's her ninety first birthday today. Oh yeah, and, and that made me that, that that that'll make you feel that'll make you feel decrepit. I think it's hard to believe. Yeah. Well, you know, and and it just occurs to me, all of these British. Uh, a lot of all these British '60s acts—they're all living into their '90s. Not that not that Mick Jagger and Keith Richard. Well, Keith Richard—he's looked like he was 90 for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they, yeah, they all—they all still—they're all still at it. Shirley Bassey. I mean, Shirley Bassey's got to be 80 uh, or more. And uh, is Anthony Newley still alive? And uh, Tom Jones. I mean, Tom Jones still performs. He's got to be—he's got to be 80. No, and they would have said they all lived a hard life, right? But look at them. Yeah, exactly. Tom Jones. Maybe we're doing it wrong. I don't know about you. I, 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 I think I look pretty good for sixty-four. I, I got I'll tell you right now. Definitely. Yeah, I'm only fifty-eight, man. I'm okay. You know, we're, we're hanging in there. Well, and then and then there's then there's that shaggy dog brother of yours, uh, you know, who's who's got that he's got that boyish uh, that boyish thing, the tousled hair. I, they, that that goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> right? He is five years younger, so you know he's he's had it easy. He's had it easier. You know. 
Well, uh, we're, if, we're getting, if you talk, if we can get my sister and me on here, we can definitely say he's had it easier all along. So that, 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 that's part of it. Jesus, <laughs> I've, I've known you. I've, I've known you guys. I've known you guys now for I don't know a couple of decades, and that's the first mention of a sister I've ever heard. <laughs> she made it to Saratoga a couple of times. She did not make it this past year, but she usually makes it up for a couple of days. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and she's in the middle. <laughs> how about that? Did you any? Does, what, what's her equine? Any equine lifestyle? Uh, no, she ran. She ran from the barn as fast as she could. Uh, but uh, it, she she did some riding lessons, and she uh, was there for a while. But yeah, she she ran from the horse industry. She appreciates it, but that's about as far as she got. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Joe, I have not. I, we have not spoken, and. Um, I, I, I suppose we could we could dial it all the way back to uh, we could dial it all the way back to Maryland Million and and uh, to Far Hills uh, and, and then a little Breeders Cup of course following and uh, you know we're at that juncture in the year where uh, the the chase season uh, winding down uh, some thoughts uh, uh, the the late fall activities that we've uh, taken in of late. Yeah, it's fun. I was at Far Hills and I was at Maryland Million. I didn't. I was at Far Hills, but it didn't feel like I was because I was on that talk show all day. And you're in the uh, tent studio and watching and following everything intently. But then by the end of the day, you've sort of emerged from there, and I, somebody will say, "You were here." I'm like, "Yeah, I was here all day." But then, so, <laughs> uh, and and it was, you know, it, it was. I think um, the, the the ground obviously played a role again, which favored obviously some. Irish breads and things like that, but it was a fantastic day of racing, like it always is. I mean, that part doesn't really change much. I do, I get uh, like Richard Migliori there working on the Fox show, and he's talking about how glorious it is. And I'm like, you know, we're due for a weather phenomenon one of these years in Far Hills, and uh, it won't be so glorious, but uh, so far, so good. And, um, you know, cool day of racing, really. I mean, that, that Noah in the arc, uh, he surprised me. He stepped up and delivered like that. Um, but he'd had that race in him. We just hadn't seen it this year. You know, he jumped up and won, um, won the biggest race of the year, the richest race of the year, and delivered that performance when he needed to, which was kind of cool to see. He's a scrappy, fun horse to root for and watch. Todd McKenna is a smaller-time guy, um, has a real job, trains horses on the side. Um, the horses, they might be some of the happiest horses in hmm. on the circuit because they're outside most of the time, and you know they go fox hunting, and they're, uh, you know it's just it's a little different life and a little different style, but it works clearly with um, with some horses. And we had a fun conversation with him, and, and really interesting. Uh, and he he detailed you know how he approaches it, and you know they they're they're kind of uh, it's kind of a free range approach. <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't do it with thirty horses. Obviously, you'd be all. It would take all day. But right. uh, but with a handful, yeah, it makes sense. And um, I think uh, you know the, a horse thrives. The horse can thrive at that, and it sort of shows you the variety of different ways to do things. That's for sure. Uh, the you know, it's funny. You got me thinking. Uh, there was a certain harmony because we had we had similar you know wettish weather at Nashville uh, leading in. Uh, and and you know then the day itself was was palatable and uh, that sort of the same way things uh, shook out as well. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, at Far Hills. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, everybody talks about 
it's easy to get talking about the old days, but I remember being there where just it was sideways rain and a nor'easter on race day, and you're like, "What on earth? Why are we here?" You know. Uh, so hopefully we keep dodging that um, that kind of stuff. But uh, it's a it's a great day and a great setting, and I try to get you know explain that to anybody I come across in thoroughbred racing, really. And it was neat to see. Uh, the horse Aban win, you know, for Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners, a little crossover, and uh, Team Valor had a McLovin win their flat race. So it, I, I love yeah. to see that crossover and expose that to, you know, a little wider audience. Well, um, it, we should we should note, um, I, I did not actually get a chance to, to see what went on at Charleston uh, this past uh, weekend on on Sunday, um, but we I did give the results. In fact, uh, in fact, one of the reasons I wanted Sean was because Cool Jet, uh, a winner, uh, the previous week for him and uh, River D. But uh, we we get to the season ender, right? Uh, we're at Aiken uh, on Saturday. Saturday, yeah, the season season which I, the season ends on Saturday, which uh, and steeple chasing. I, I like that it sort of has a. It has a firm ending, you know, where the, 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 we know the flat racing has peaks and valleys, but it, but it obviously keeps going. Uh, so the season ends Saturday. You uh, everybody takes a breath, and you can kind of regroup and um, we'll look forward to the next year. Figure out what you're going to do with your horses, and um, take a look back. And you know, it just follows a, a pattern. We all. The one thing we wish is well, for kind of for one more. The Colonial Cup used to be a sort of companion to Aiken in Camden, South Carolina, every fall, and they haven't had it for a few years, and we've been some rumblings about bringing it back, and hopefully it, it gets back on the, on the schedule and would be a it would it, they used to have a great one, and it was sort of a uh, one more finale to everything. So um, even a couple of years, it wasn't necessarily the last race meet of the season, but it was you know sort of the last big stop where all those horses from Far Hills had one more one more try um, to, to either settle settle some races or, or you know or add to a good year well, and i'm just looking at uh at saturday and uh you got a five race card uh that uh includes the uh, includes three maiden uh events uh then you got uh, the holiday cup stake and uh an overnight uh handicap uh as well that uh, that drew nine actually and uh looks like a nice uh looks like a nice end to the to the season yeah and Aiken's done it's it's always been a very popular they run spring and fall and um, they built a new course a few years ago um, that they've been using here this might be the second fall season on the new course I'm not 100% sure of that but but again to see the commitment of it and um, um, you you know it's really popular there I mean they um, the spring meet I know people would literally leave tailgate space tailgate spaces in their wills and things like that to people <laughs> and, uh, it was that important you know and uh, um, Aiken's probably lost a little bit of its thoroughbred racing connection with the training center kind of downsizing a little bit there but uh, it's certainly a horse town and you know will always sort of be a steeplechase town too which is great they run in early in the season in March and late in the season in November um and like you touched on, uh, it's sort of last chance city. We got three main races, uh, a pretty pretty well filled handicap. The um, the uh, stake is for three and four year olds. It's a little light, but that's okay. You know, it's going to happen this time of year. It's it's um, 
Um, they're always trying to build that division up. I'm surprised some of the maidens didn't maybe take a shot at the state because it wouldn't have been that much tougher for the four-year-olds. But uh, um, uh, it, it provides a cool a cool ending to the season for sure. Well, and I'm just uh, for those that that uh, that hadn't seen the the results. Uh, if we go back to Montpelier uh, two Saturdays ago and uh, the big race, the No Lang. Jack Fisher uh, sending out that Zabil champion and uh, with Bernie Dalton uh, following the following up uh, from Far Hills, right? Yeah, and it was funny. I mean, that horse came over and he ran at Foxfield in kind of a um, toward the end of September in a in a easier on paper race than this race than the No Lang or the Far Hills race, and he. He finished. He was well beaten there. I, I expected him to run really well there coming over. Um, usually their sort of mid-level handicappers are ahead of ours. I mean, they use, it's the same. I mean, it's a ratings type system, but uh, he was, he ran in a 120 handicap at Foxfield and got clobbered. Then he won a 130 handicap at Far Hills, and then he won an open race over the big brush course at Montpelier. So it uh, looks like a nice, you know, a nice horse kind of who's adapted to America and um, still owned by his his English partners, which is kind of nice to see people sending horses over here to compete. You know, and experience probably really helped him there. I mean, he he not done enough running over there. Montpelier is the last sort of they they run over the traditional national fences. All their other races, the No Lang, they still run over a big natural hedge, for lack of better word, right. uh, fences. And um, uh, a horse like that with lots of experience, he'd run you know, in England and, and uh, can adapt to that probably quicker than some of the younger straight hurdle horses here. But he, again, he looks like a nice horse. He'd be on the, you know, on the way up the ladder toward some stakes company next spring. It, Joe, I'm sure you've chewed on it a little bit. Uh, what, what, uh, what do you anticipate? Uh, you don't have to necessarily give your vote, but what do you, what do you anticipate in terms of the eclipse? For the the chaser, yeah, the horses really didn't help us this year. We, we had, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I I really haven't people I I haven't gotten that many questions about it, but I know the obviously the decisions are coming, and you're going to have to look at it and try to figure it out. There there are five Grade One stakes on the Steeplechase calendar, and we had five winners. Um, and so, which is why, like earlier, touched on the Colonial Cup used to sort of be one more chance, and man, this year we could really use it. Um, I don't know. It's uh, you know, to me, it's going to come down to whether how people view you know that Grand National is clearly the biggest race, and Noah and the Ark won that. Um, he the rest of his year was not very good, and you know, Todd will tell you. I mean, it just didn't nothing went right, and he didn't run very well in any of the other places. Um, uh, the snap decision did not win a Grade One, but won two Grade Twos while carrying. You know, carried 158 in one of them and carried 162 in the other one and was second in the Iroquois to the Irish horse that came over and went back, you know. But then he, you know, they uh, they ran him at Far Hills and I think probably in the back of their mind they knew he wasn't going to appreciate the going, but they ran him anyway. And uh, he was pulled up, which doesn't look very good, but then he came back and won a week later, you know. So uh, I don't know. It's going to be – you're going to have to really – probably test your voting philosophy do you vote for the best performance the best horse the best uh i don't know mary maker won the most money by a little bit over noah in the ark 
you know, but he started the year with one win and uh, his uh, with a maiden win, basically, and he won an allowance hurdle in the spring, which those the one like I never won two. Those other horses weren't even eligible for that. So, and he was second. He probably put together the two best Grade One performances. He was second in the Grand National. And he won the race at Aqueduct. But uh, he 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 he's got uh, an ex- a very acceptable resume and and you can even fold in the shepherd where he, i know he was fourth in the shepherd i'm just looking at it now uh right but that you know that the, the lonesome glory win and the and the second in the grand national goes a long way and he was third in the kaiser yeah. third in the kaiser as well right but uh, yeah but the, the contrarian i'll tell you those other horse no and the arc couldn't even run in the kaiser you know uh and or the race that Mary Maker won it in May, you know. So I, it's it's gonna there's gonna be some decisions to make. I, I don't really know. Uh, now I'm really thinking about it. I'm not. Sure. <laughs> 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 you know, and his, his lonesome glory waiting carrying 142. You know, where you know it's not decisions behind him, but he was carrying 160. Two, I think. Right. right or more. Yes. Yes. You know. So yes. I, I, I don't. Yeah, he carried sixty-two. So it's 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 weird. I, I don't really know what. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I mean, last year I, I don't typically vote for the Irish or English horse that comes over and wins one race, and, and nothing against them. But I don't do that. I try not to do that on the flat either. You know, it's just sure. like, supposed to be North America's horse. You know, so. Um, uh, but if. If one had come over and won the Grand National the way Hewitt did last year, this year it would be an easier case to make for him because none of the American horses really did any, you know, thing, a standout type of thing. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, there's going to be some interesting. Sharpen the pencils. Sharpen the pencils and uh, try to figure it out. <laughs> well, and, 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 well, snap snap decisions certainly uh, helped himself by by – Immediately, uh, it, it took Jack Fisher probably seconds after after he basically, uh, you know, walked off the course at Far Hills, spun right back and wins the Ferguson, the Grade Two uh, in in Virginia, and uh, at Great Meadow. So uh, he, he does have he does have the the Temple Guathme and the the Zeke Ferguson, and uh, second at Iroquois. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but, I mean, if Scaramanga doesn't come for the Iroquois, yeah, you know, yep. uh, he, he wins that, and it's probably not a not such a debate anyway. No. Um, I, I don't know. It's uh, interesting. And I don't. The one thing, the graded like, like the it's the, those races are not graded by the graded stakes committee the way flat racing is. I mean, it's basically more of an internal decision, and it's largely based on the purse money. Um, the Temple Guacme certainly has a huge history behind it and is a grade two only really because of its purse level. Um, and you, you know, uh, it's it, 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 in another world or in a perfect world, it might be a great one. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it can be, it's two and a half miles. It's April. It's, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not an easy race to win. You know, um, there's probably more jumping and more, to that than there is the Saratoga grade ones or the Aqueduct grade one. Nothing against them. It's just the way it kind of shakes out. Um, and then you go back. I mean, you know, to me, they're all supposed to prove it at, at, at Far Hills, and no one in the art did. So, uh, you know, he's got he's got that in his favor. You know, so, yeah. 
and he beat he beat Mary Maker at level eight. You know, right there it is. You know, so yeah, fair I, point. I don't know. It's gonna be yeah. You're gonna have to uh, give me some philosophical mind wrestling. I guess put it that way. I hope people vote. I mean, I think that's all. I, that's all I want. Yeah, exactly. And take, exactly. It, take it seriously and vote. You know, and and um, if anybody, not that we're talking to just voters, but you know, if there's other information, I, I can try to point people toward replays and some other stuff like that, too, when we when we get that far. Well, let's also, before we go, let's also point uh, them. Uh, I did this with Tom Law yesterday, but uh, we, we certainly want to get another lick in for the calendar, which is, uh, I look over, and there's Olympiad staring at me, and uh, in the... LNJ uh, silks with the. Uh, it looks good, you know? doesn't he? Yeah, it's a good picture. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the calendars are at the printer. I expect them here. Uh, where are we? The, today is what the sixteenth. Sixteenth. Um, about ten days. Uh, the first part of the so the twenty seventh, twenty eighth are supposed to be back from the printer. Um, but uh, you can order at thisishorseracing dot com. Um, and uh, you can buy them at Impressions of Saratoga as well and some other stops around. Um, and uh, uh, it should be, should bear, knock on wood, that we don't have any printer issues or anything like that. Uh, we'll be shipping by the 1st of December. Excellent. Well, uh, this is horseracing.com. Uh, certainly the regulars that get one every year, you know where you know where to go. But uh, if you if you haven't had it, uh, it's it's really one of the one of the most beautiful and uh, one of the most appreciated. Even if my birthday is not listed, uh, the... <laughs> that'd be great, right? Maybe we should do that. Just just random. Random racing personalities' birthdays listed in there, with right alongside the phases of the moon and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, exactly. And, well, and, and and as it happens, uh, Tom Law yesterday said that uh, the reason they couldn't put my birthday was because uh, there was a moon. There was a, a you know. <laughs> A first quarter moon, so there wasn't room. But he's wrong because there was definitely room up on the top. On the the moon goes on the bottom, and the the holiday goes on top. There are days when the uh, the the calendar can be the bane of your existence when someone calls you and tells you you got uh, Hanukkah or something else wrong. You know, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I hope people are using more reliable sources for their tides, moons, and official holidays if they're really, really, really <laughs> Well, you know, you, know what, you, you know what's funny about this? Because it, it came up yesterday, and I, I laughed about the birthdays, because on my personal calendar, you know, that you keep, uh, you know, that has certain things, you know, once you put it in, the, the the calendar keeps them and 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 in fact Tina's got us now on these communal the you know the whole family so it, it, if anybody puts something in I see it and I I just sort of flippantly mentioned you know that I I know when Flavian Pratt's birthday is and then and and just half an hour ago with Gary Palmasano I I went to put the Jeff Ruby Bourbonnet Oaks on my calendar so I knew you know it's going to be the week after NHC and lo and behold the following week is Flavian Pratt's birthday and there, <laughs> there it is uh, on on March 30th so everybody now you you're 330 is 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 probably locked into your brain like it is mine uh, 
wherever Flavian is riding that Saturday, uh, that's, that happens to be Arkansas Derby Day, and I imagine Florida Derby Day too, um, usually. So, uh, yeah, it was, that's very funny that this comes up, uh, and, and I, I end up seeing Flavian's birthday. No, it'll stay forever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm. T- I, you know what's funny about birthdays? It, it, there, there's certain ones. It, that, that just you know will stay in your in your head forever, and, and and I don't mean like you know my parents, I'm obviously my brother, but I, I mean you know ex girlfriends. There's there's certain right. There's certain. Right. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if it's the same so, for so you. So my birthday, my, we'll tell everybody. My birthday is April Fool's Day. Oh, Nobody that's... forgets it. I get calls from oh, that's great. from high school friends and college friends. I don't know any of their birthdays, but everybody remembers mine. That's great. <laughs> that is great. I love it. Now, now I know. Now, now, yeah, now you know. You, you, now you won't forget. But, well, this has been. But I, yeah, I'm like I hear from people once a year. I'm like, oh man, I wish I knew when their birthday was. That is that is tremendous. I. Uh, I, I I I learned two things today. We we now know Joe Clancy's birthday, and now we know that there's a sister. The, the, yes, the, Sheila Sheila Clancy. So you know she uh, maybe you know, we'll, if we get her to Saratoga again, which I'm sure we will at some point, uh, we'll, we'll make we'll make sure you cross paths. Well, wait a minute, it, 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 that. That's not a very Irishy name. I, mean, you, you, you couldn't, I didn't name her. You couldn't come up with like Siobhan, right? Is that that Siobhan? She she call her Siobhan instead. Sheila. Yeah, yeah, she'd love that. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Well, Joe Clancy, everybody. Joe Clancy, sixty-five. Saratoga TL. Tom Law and uh, by Sean Clancy, of course. Uh, and we'll we will try to get a Sean visit in because. Everybody wants to know. They want the Christmas tree report from Sean. That's all they care about. And they want. They will. uh, will That that will live forever. That story. Oh God! Are you kidding? He he, he said it would have been a great television episode or something, right? Could you just see that? Exactly. Like like if if uh, and I suppose I'm as I'm. I guess I'd be a good candidate for, you know, for kind of a Larry David curb your enthusiasm kind of a yeah. kind of a show. Totally. We right, we have those kinds of uh, those those kinds yeah. of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Too funny. Sean, then Joe, the, and, the, the, the one where Sean goes to get the Christmas tree. I can see it right now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And 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 I, I I could actually steal right from Larry David and 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 eat the baby Jesus off the off the crash uh, the the that's one of that's that is one of the funniest episodes <laughs> in in television history when 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 he when he when he thinks that the crash scene is is our animal crackers <laughs> and, 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 and he eats baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spins it to where there's no way he's out of line. Like, what do you mean? Of course it was. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, well, we're off the rails as usual. Joe, thank you. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Where you? Where? Where did the Clancy spend Thanksgiving? Uh, it... Well, it, it varies, but we are. The, we we brought Sheila up. We're headed to Sheila's house in Robert Beach, Delaware. Uh-huh. At least some of us are. My. Uh, my my kids are let's see they're they're two of two of our sons are going other directions but uh, we will catch up to them by Saturday I believe so 
but uh, most of us will be at my sister's with my parents. Um, and uh, uh, should be good. What's the top uh, the top dish? The top uh, what what what's a Clancy? It's, family it's pretty favorite? standard. Uh, it's pretty standard. Um, uh, Grandma Ruth usually makes the makes the pie, makes the pumpkin pie. That, that, that that's a big hit for sure. Um, but uh, the rest is pretty standard with um, you know the usual turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes, green beans, uh, and the usual. But um, uh, there, and then there's much. Um, much lounging around. <laughs> what time? What time do the Clancy's have Thanksgiving? This is, uh, this is an varies. interesting question. Uh, and again, we've we've done all we've done all I, our Thanksgivings. Have moved. My mom used to always host when we were kids. Hosted her parents, and then uh, and it was usually a later time dinner. Then now it's probably more of a uh, late afternoon, you know, five o'clock ish type dinner. I would think. Um, but it but it shifts a little. Uh, Interesting. And, we, and again, we as our as our boys have gotten older, we've we've changed the model a little bit. Too. We've hosted some. We've gone to uh, last year they were future in laws. We went to uh, in laws' house um, in Boston, and there were ages ninety three to less than one at the table. So you know, there's it can be all it can be all kinds. We, we we're not really sure where we're headed, but. Uh, uh, this year it's Robus and it's a little little smaller. Mostly Clancy, Sean, and his family. Um, Sam and I, our oldest son Ryan and his wife, and my sister and uh, most of her family too. So nice, nice. Well, enjoy, happy uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, we will uh, we will catch up. We'll get at least one more visit in before uh, the Christmas break. All right, sounds great. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Joe Clancy, everybody. This is HorseRacing.com for your calendar. And uh, hopefully we talk to uh, Sean uh, next week. We get a we get a, the wee Clancy, as we like to call him. But how about that? There's a sister. Did Who knew? Who knew? Um, let's get to Dave Hill. Um, we're, we're, we're in trouble here, and uh, as usual, because I, 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 I just cannot... I'd be the world's worst train conductor uh, because I can't keep the I can't keep the train on the track. We got about twenty, uh, call it twenty-two minutes, ish to spend with Dave Hill, and and we we absolutely we are not missing an opportunity because I don't remember from last Thanksgiving uh, the the Hill family Thanksgiving traditions because they've got to be they've got to be fun and and. And humorous. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm good. You're in Vegas. I am. I am in Las Vegas, or at least that's what they're telling me. It's it's not like Vegas that I've ever seen before. Wow. Um, you you. A, it is a transformed city yeah. right now. You warned everybody, and I I'm seeing the complaints. The way that uh, the streets are all uh, girded for the uh, for the Formula One, and apparently the locals are beside themselves. Yeah, a friend of mine asked me last night, he asked me what the vibe was like here. I told him it was really a matter of perspective, because if you're here visiting because you're here for the race, then it's pretty incredible, because they really just turned the whole city into a racetrack. But if you live in Las Vegas, it's pretty miserable, because they turned the whole city into a racetrack. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I've heard a lot of complaints since I've been here from people so far, but 
I have to say the um, the event last night was the opening ceremonies is um, pretty over the top. Uh, they definitely spared no expense, and um, it's it's going to be pretty. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong, and I think a lot of people are bracing themselves for potentially a fiasco. But um, you know, if it doesn't go wrong, I think it could be a pretty pretty cool event. Interesting. Uh, it will be. I just see the. You know, I'm just seeing what is splayed on on Twitter uh, so far. So we'll we'll keep. It's that. awful. <laughs> I, mean, I would hate to, and, it, and it's been awful for six months. I mean, you know, I feel for the locals. You know, it's 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 been at least six months of just absolute chaos and gridlock and just a mess. And it'll probably be months of taking it down when it's over. And they're going to do that every year. You know, oh, it's just, God. I think that's part of what people are bracing themselves about is like, okay, we're going to do this once like the Super Bowl. That's one thing, but you're telling us this is going to be a yearly event here. Um, so yeah, I think people are, uh, I feel for the locals, but the, um, the, the race fans I think are, are so far delighted by uh, hmm. what they've seen. And this is like, how many times have you been to Vegas this year? <laughs> on, I'm, I'm gonna have to start. I'm gonna have to rent an apartment out here. Um, no, I've, I've been out here quite a few times this year. Mm. Um, I feel like I continue to get, um, you know, work out here, and um, I also like to visit Vegas. But um, you know, the Super Bowl is going to be in Vegas this year too, and you know, Vegas is really becoming like a. Um, it's it's really trying trying hard to become a sports capital. I mean, right. it's. Uh, you know, they're getting the Super Bowl, the athletics, a Formula One race, uh, you know, all in the same year. Um, it's it's uh, they're really making a push, a push here um, to put themselves on the sporting map, I suppose. Uh, so that, there's plenty of occasions for me to come out here to Vegas and work. No, no doubt. Uh, uh, you had the blackjack ball trip, and uh, I know there's been others. Uh, obviously, plenty of uh, you know, plenty of contacts uh, that are also that are also based. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, if you're going to write about gambling, then you know yeah. you're going to have to come to Vegas. Exactly right. Well, before we before we talk a couple different topics, uh, including last week's results, this week's uh, NFL action, uh, and and also a very interesting uh, thread that was initiated by Unabated uh, and uh, involving uh, involving uh, Jack Andrews. And uh, some some maxims, some some betting axioms uh, that that are, you know, sports betting uh, related. However, they have direct application to horseplay as well. Uh, and I thought that was a really valuable. And I'll I'll send everybody that link after this afternoon. Um, so I want to do that. But first and foremost, uh, Thanksgiving. For the hills, and, and I, because I remember last year you had you had some delightful anecdotes. <laughs> well, we're driving. Uh, I'm I'm actually up to fly from Vegas to Nashville to meet my beloved wife. We're we're driving to Arkansas and driving back because it's just too much to fly the whole family down there multiple times a year. So we make a road trip out of it, and um, she's driving to Nashville by herself, and I'm meeting her there to drive the rest of the way. So. It's a little bit of a strange. Uh, <laughs> we're doing it a little weird this year, and uh, I feel terrible. Um, but it, you know, who knows? It could end up being its own kind of adventure. 
And uh, I don't know, this year, I think the thing I've been most focused on is the turkey trot. You know, I run this turkey trot in Hot Springs uh, the last few years, and I've really been training for it this time. I, I was in, I would, did not like my time last year. Of course, it was raining, so I, I'm using it as an excuse, but trying to uh, hit a PR in the turkey trot this year if I can. Um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and what, uh, what is, what's Pam's, uh, what, what are her, what's her wheelhouse specialty? Well, she does, she, I'm not sure what she would say her specialty is. She does a lot of pies. And, you know, my wife also likes to bake pies too. And it's really an interesting combination because my mom is, uh, she likes to bake um, pumpkin, chocolate, you know, meringues, you know, those kinds of pies. And my wife likes to bake fruit pies. So together they're a pretty good combination. How about that? So in other words, lay off the, lay off the mashed potatoes, save it. Save it for oh, no uh, doubt. Yeah. No doubt. She makes a pretty mean dressing too. Um, a lot of folks end up taking the dressing home with them. I've noticed. Uh, I think she does pretty good with the dressing. But uh, this is funny. Now, see, this is this is this has become this is bubbled to the surface suddenly. I, I never heard this debate until literally the last couple of weeks. The reference to stuffing versus dressing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's. I grew up. It was always dressing, but it's. Uh, it's definitely stuffing in New York. It, it's a funny thing, be, and, and it was stuffing, in, in, you know, for us too. And they, they, I, I actually saw, and I'm going to be discussing with Neil Kleinberg next. The you know our usual Thanksgiving conversation, uh, and I saw a specific reference to this the other day. Uh, in a, I think I, I think in Southern Living, and uh, it, it said anything that. Any, you know, any breaded uh, side dish that doesn't go in the in the bird is technically a dressing, right? Yeah. And, yeah. If you don't stuff it in there, it's not stuffing. Yeah. That's so funny. And of course, stuffing has stuffing became a a uh, you know, negative association started in the last, I guess, probably twenty years with concerns about you know salmonella and and thorough cooking uh-huh. and and that thing so uh, you know a lot of people got away from from actually physically stuffing the bird and uh, it also keeps the the bird from cooking uh, potentially you know uniformly so I'll let Neil discuss some of that but it's just funny when you said dressing it made me think of that and uh, you know it's like the old soda versus pop and sack versus bag and you know depending on where you grew up yeah. Yeah. Well, it's def- I definitely grew up with dressing and, uh, you know, I, I, I will say that this year, one thing we're doing different is we're, um, we're going to do a, uh, um, like a Friday night dinner at a cousin's house and he's a little bit of a foodie and he likes to, uh, you know, he fancies himself a chef and there won't be any dressing. There won't be any, you know, <laughs> there won't be any like, uh, uh, brown gravy or you know it's going to be all this kind of like uh, uh fancy stuff at his house and i do worry that our generation my generation the, the family uh, you know are going to just completely abandon all the old you know traditions and ways and you know so that that's a, there's not enough of a uh, uh folks in our generation that are trying to hold on to some of the old ways of cooking well uh e- even i 
even I draw the line at you know at, at squirrel in the in the Brunswick stew or or you know <laughs> yeah the gamey stuff <laughs> yeah the occasional possum uh, that uh, <laughs> that that I I've got certain cookbooks I've got I've got a cookbook called the Dixie Cookbook from like 1890. Five, and uh, the Brunswick stew recipe says uh, take uh, the meat from two uh, plump squirrels, and and, and I and no, I'm, I'm going to use ground beef or, 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 or pork if you don't mind. When I, my father-in-law, when uh, you know, when I first started um, dating my wife, he would ask me about Brunswick stew all the time. I never had it growing up. Never. I didn't even know what he was talking about when he first asked me about it. I mean, and what's funny is I've had, I've eaten squirrel, I've eaten rabbit, like I've eaten all this kind of gamey meat just from growing up at hunting, but never had Brunswick stew. It was never something I had in Arkansas. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, Brunswick, yeah, Brunswick stew, you know, barbecue. A barbecue restaurant uh, soup, essentially that uh, Brunswick, Georgia, I, I think of mostly, and uh, it's one of my absolute favorites. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think I got wind of it in Cincinnati. I think is where I first came across uh, Brunswick stew. And then I, I saw a recipe. I, I think. I, I think. I, in fact, I have the the recipe cut out and stuck to a uh, to a note card. Uh, that that's. You know, something I've got. I got quite a bit of that over the years. I've got a, I got a huge file of of, of recipe recipe cards, and yet I make the same things over and over again. I, it's pretty, it's just a it's just a Yankee curiosity. I think there you go. It's kind of the same way that Yankees call deer meat venison. You know, <laughs> we just call it deer meat. <laughs> it's just deer meat. That's all. It, that's all it ever was. Well, they say that that's that that the reason there's words like venison um, and and uh, mutton. Mutton is another word that, uh, uh -huh. that it's a it's a. It's sort of a, a way to palletize. Uh, Put lipstick on a pig. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, Let's dive in. And uh, first, your thoughts about uh, that that sequence uh, of of tweets and and Captain Jack's uh, you know basically debunking of of certain of, of certain betting maxims. Yeah, I saw the Twitter thread you're talking about where he talks about the Kelly criterion, and yeah. um, this is sort of an this is like an often debated thing among sports betters about Kelly criterion and how to use it i think part of why it becomes a debate is that there's a lot of people who are getting into sports betting now who come out of the world of uh, like blackjack card counting um and that type of advantage gambling where kelly criterion um kind of makes a lot more sense because you can accurately define what your edge is in a game um, so you can, you know, adequately, and just to be clear, in case you might as well, the Kellyan criterion is this like mathematical formula to figure out what your right bet should be on something given the size of your bankroll so that you don't go broke, right? It's to, to minimize right. your, what they call risk of ruin. So, um, uh, given however much money you have in your bankroll and whatever your edge is on a bet, there's an act, there's sort of a mathematically right, you know, amount that you should bet so that you can maximize how much you win while minimizing your risk of going broke. And, uh, people that play blackjack, their, their advantage on any given 
hand is fixed. You know, it's always the same. They know exactly what their edge is, so they can quantify this pretty accurately. In sports, it gets a little bit harder for those folks to continue to bet Kelly because you're not really, you're not sure what your edge is. You're estimating what your what your edge may be um, based on some, you know, I mean, there's different ways to calculate edge and different types of bets. Sometimes you might have a certain edge, but um, it's often very uncertain. It's your best guess. And so you might be wrong about your Kelly um, number. And that's one of the things Jack says in this tweet and in this article um, is that betters often, you know, they may overestimate the edge they have. Um, but it's also Kelly's tough because there's so much variance in betting. And, um, uh, you know, you, you, you have to have um, sometimes the Kelly criterion may tell you to bet a lot more money on something that you have the stomach to do um, because your edge might be high. Even if it is realistically high, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win. It just means that if you made that bet forever, you know, you, that's how much you'd come ahead. So there's variance. Um, so this is a tough thing. It's even tougher in horse racing uh, for two reasons. One, because, you know, again, in horse racing, you have to have you can't just go by the um, the the paramutual odds to estimate what your edge is. You know, you have to have your own sense of the odds and figure out the difference between your, uh, you know, what your what your uh, what you believe the odds should be and where they are on the tote board. But also, there's so many multi, there's multiple outcomes, so the math gets a lot more complicated than it does in um, sort of straight uh, aside in an NFL game where there's only really three outcomes. You know, win, lose, or push. And, and and I'm glad you folded it in to because you know, into horse racing because there's plenty of people that you know when when they've read about uh, you know wagering uh, and and bankroll management and th- and this sequence of, of of tweets from unabated is is basically bankroll management is, is the central focus of you know these these theories that that Jack addresses um, and, and they they absolutely apply. Directly to to horse racing and 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 horseplay and wagering, um, so I I, I I think everybody would benefit. Uh, and I'll send the yeah the, link out. the sort of key point that he makes is that um, is that being a, if you're bad if you're making bad bets but you have good bankroll management you're still going to go broke exactly right? but you can, yeah. but if you're making good bets and you have bad bankroll management you also could go broke so you know what i mean like <laughs> you have to be able to make good bets and you have to have good bankroll management and i think people need to understand what that you know i don't use kelly i used to try to use it but i just didn't have the stomach sometimes i mean there's a tonight i like the ravens and i estimate about a 15 and a half percent edge on the Ravens at three and a half points, uh, you know, if you even went by a quarter Kelly, you know, that's a pretty large percentage of uh, the bankroll uh, to bet there, even if you did a quarter of a Kelly criterion, you know. So full Kelly criterion, it would be a massive bet. It would be like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on what your bankroll is. So, you know, I typically try to, like, make a ceiling for myself, and or I'll, I'll use flat, you know, flat units. I think a lot of people bet in units, you know, $100 units or $200 units or five, as a unit, and I'll say, well, if the edge is, a, you know, if the edge justifies a certain percentage of bankroll, maybe I'll just double the unit, right, rather than or do, do a double bet or a triple bet rather than doing a true Kelly bet. Well, that gets us to uh, to this week. We got about uh, got about five eight minutes, and uh, okay. a quick review from last week. Number one. 
Well, last week was a weird wit week. Uh, I think we kind of split it. We went yep on the picks I gave on there. We went four four and one. Um, you know, I think I was texting with you. I actually ended up hedging the uh, the teaser because the number went out went crazy. Went up to eight, and I tried to middle the game. Um, I missed a middle, which sucks. And for a while, it really looked like I was going to hit the middle, and I was getting excited. But we missed the middle. But the, it ended up working as a hedge to hedge out of the uh, the loss on the teaser because of the uh, Buffalo Bills completely falling apart. Um, which you know, who could have seen that coming? Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so, you know, it could have been a good week. Also, I really was annoyed at Chicago. Uh, you know, pushing when that I feel like sh- should have been a cover. Um, uh, there were a lot of games like that. I mean, we lost that Baltimore game. Um, that was a wild one. So that's the NFL. Um, at least we didn't come out loser. Um, and I did pretty good on props last week, but you know, I never make prop bets till Saturday. So right. it's hard to talk with us on Thursday, but, um, the props, the props did really good this past week. Nice. Well, and, uh, we, uh, have some we got some terrific matchups actually just looking at yeah. just looking at the lines you can tell it's a it, it, it should be an exciting weekend it should we have another big um underdog here in the miami vegas game um but you know last week we you know i i, I showed courage i took the yep. cowboys and uh covered the number easily so um i'm not sure about this week I, i'm not even sure that i'm gonna bet that game uh the, you know the numbers that i have show Miami winning it by margin by about 11 and a half, but at 13 and a half, you'd think there was some value on Vegas. I think it's at 13 now, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to catch that number. I don't like it at 13, so I'm going to stay off that game. Uh, the rest of the games look pretty close, though, and I really love tonight's game. I think everybody's. Look, I think this is like a playoff game, Baltimore and Cincinnati, um, and they're both coming off of really disappointing losses. And I just think three and a half is too close. I've, you know, that Messi Peabody still has Baltimore in the number one spot. And Messi Peabody thinks Baltimore is a huge favorite against Cincinnati. Um, you got to remember that Baltimore lost. Yeah, they fell apart. They had some turnovers, but they lost to a much better team than Cincinnati did um, last week. And just by the numbers, Baltimore continues to have show real power on offense and defense. So I like this game a lot. I really like Baltimore tonight. What what did you get for points? I got three and a half on. on I think three and a half is great. I think that Baltimore, you know, the numbers that, that I'm that I came up with, I've got Baltimore winning this game by eight. So, wow! Uh, wow! Yeah, I think it's a huge edge. All right. Um, let's see. There's a, there's a couple other games I like. I like I like taking the points with Chicago. Um, Interesting. Seven I and like taking. Yeah, yeah. Is it what's it at right now? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah, it was so it was at eight and a half yesterday. So you wow. can see their Chicago money. Um, so it's moved a point. You know, I've got Detroit winning this game by five and a half points. So I'm going to take seven and a half. But I think seven and a half is about my threshold. Uh, at seven, I start to lose interest because I, I like there to be that two point cushion. Uh, you know, to to pay, to have to take the juice. I have to take some of these on some of these bets. So seven and a half, I'll still do it. Um, Green Bay at home getting three. I like that. Um, I think these teams are are uh, much more even uh, than this line. And then then giving you know giving Green Bay points at home, I feel like is uh, hmm. just too. Uh, they're they're too close, and the home field advantage is real. And and, and Lambeau and uh, 
Uh, I think it's just en- it's just enough that I'll take three. Is the line still three? I got three and a half on the for what I. Put All right. Up well, today. great. Three and a half is even better. Nice. Um, but that shows there's some chargers charger money out there. But I, I'm willing to fade those guys. Uh, I really like Washington. Uh, Washington against the Giants, who are obviously in tank mode. And Washington, what are they laying right now? They were they're laying eight and a half. Nine so. and a half now. Okay, they're laying nine and a half. I'm on my screen there. There's a nine and a half, a couple offshore, but it's nine at um, Caesars. It's it's eight and a half at DraftKings, and it's nine and a half at FanDuel. So there's a lot of wow. There's a lot of interesting. They, that's a pretty interesting that all those kind of wrecked books all have three. There's three completely different numbers. There, the prices are different, right? The eight and a half is juiced. The um, nine and a half is a is a nickel line. So you can see that there's a little bit of price differentiation between those three numbers. So they're all pretty much closer to a nine. This game is probably truly a, a minus one ten nine. Um, you know, out here at Circa, where I'm going to have to bet it, I'm, it's eight and a half. So because I'm in Vegas, I can't bet on any of these normal accounts. So I'm kind of limited ah, here to what I, the numbers that's I can right. see. That's right. Yeah, that's I can't right. bet online here, so I have to go to Circa to bet, which. But Circa's uh, number is eight and a half. If I can grab that, it sounds like that's good since the market seems to be moving, yeah, moving in Washington's direction. Um, but yeah, I like that a lot. And then Buffalo uh, Bills, I think, uh, had this get-right game <laughs> against the struggling New York Jets. Um, and let's see, we're laying seven at Circa. Um, looks like it's seven everywhere except Pinnacle, where there is a seven and a half juiced on the. Uh, uh, ju- juice to the bill. Well, no, it's juice to the Jets. At half point, they're juicing that seven and a half uh, for the Jets. So I'm going to lay the touchdown with the Bills, and that's what I like. I'm. I haven't bet any of this stuff yet. I really haven't done a ton of, you know, research on injuries or any of that kind of stuff because I'm in Formula One La La Land. So you know, uh, so proceed with caution. This is just based off of power rating numbers. All right, that's all right. I'm going to venture out to Circa today and try to bet these things at the best numbers I can get there. And uh, cross my fingers. I don't have any teasers for you or anything like that this week. Um, but I will for next week. We'll have a lot, a, a much bigger football menu to talk about for Thanksgiving. Well, we won't be on the phone Thursday, but there's going to be a lot of football left that week. So maybe I'll tweet something at you guys. There you go, and I'll I'll uh, I'll circulate it. And I, you know, I put up the picks both at uh, Derby Trail and at uh, and at the show at uh, SteveMick.com. So uh, we'll we'll do that, and then I'll just ask you because I ask you every week. The Eagles are getting two and a half right now on Monday night. Two and a, it's two and a half right now. Let me look at the, the screen. The Eagles are, uh, they look like they're, um, yeah, they're getting two and a half or they're, they're, they're getting three at some places. Ooh, all right. Uh, well, you know, they are playing the Kansas city chiefs, man. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, and they're on the road they're at Arrowhead. So that, you know, some of that look on the power rating, the power rating shows the chiefs are about, uh, five and a quarter points better than an average, uh, and the Chiefs are about six points better than average. So they're they're not too far apart. But then you know you get a point and a half to the Chiefs for home field advantage, and suddenly you can look. I don't like the game. I don't think there's enough differentiation here. I I make the Kansas City two and a half points better in this game, so I don't like laying three. There's obviously a small amount of value there on the Eagles, but I wouldn't bet it. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Chiefs are at home, and uh, you know the Chiefs have 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 had a. They're coming off of a bye, um, so there's a lot of things that might go into people wanting to take the Chiefs at home here. But I would say this: the Chiefs haven't put up more than 14 points in like a month. Their offense has not really shown much, so this could be a great week for the Eagles to make a statement, too. Um, I'm, I'm staying away from the game. I'm really curious. It'll be a great game to watch. I'm curious to see what happens. But, but the Chiefs really, you know, they've been winning, but they uh, they haven't been showing a lot. Well, so, and, and people might say the same about uh, about the birds. It, yeah, it should be very Eagles, yeah. should be very entertaining. Uh, could be an under game. This could be a good under game. There you go. The right now, like the sides, maybe this is a good place to bet a couple of struggling offenses and powerful defenses. Forty five and a half is the number, and uh, and actually, the, the my man Johnny D sent me a thing. The unders have been uh, powerful on the national game. Uh, oh, I know it's true. Yeah. these Thursday night games, especially, yeah. yeah. That's well, because you know, teams are exhausted. That's natural. Yeah, That's that, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Uh, yep. And it's forty six tonight. Uh, but of course, these are two high powered offenses: the Bungles and the. Uh, I don't know. The, the Ravens, Ravens defense are tough. That's true. Um, That's true. But it, but the, they they fell apart in that Browns game, and that game went went over sixty. I mean, they they both those teams put up over thirty. Pretty nuts. Um, hmm. Honestly, I thought the Browns. Ravens game would be an under game, and it was a big over game. So, I would I'm I'm nervous about the get playing the total tonight uh, because of what I saw last week. All right, but Baltimore Ravens minus. defense are going to take them to Super Bowl. I think. Well, you that that's you're counting on it. You were out way out in front of it, and you've been loading <laughs> up. So well done. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the Formula One, uh, and uh, we look forward to the piece in Rolling Stone. The one and only Dave Hill, 77, everybody. Dave, uh, might not talk, so happy Thanksgiving. Safe travels uh, to uh, Team Hill. Thanks, and same to your family. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. The great Dave Hill, everybody. Uh, Going to turn, and I just heard from Neil, and uh, he's Neil's ready to go. I can tell. He's got 20 minutes. It's going to be uh, – gonna, we're, we're going to have to do this very sharp. Uh, and of course, you just heard from one of the great sharps around, and it's been you know it's been a struggle. Dave, Dave I saw a bunch of things this week and midpoint in NFL season. There's a lot of sharpies that are saying it's been a very challenging year. Uh, you know, no matter how accomplished a, uh, a player you are, Neil. Kleinberg joins us for the annual Thanksgiving conversation, one of the most anticipated visits of the year. Neil, good morning. Where are you? Neil. Neil. Right here. Uh, okay, try it again. Hello. There we go. I, I, I couldn't hear you. Neil, are you not hearing me? I hear you. All right. That was, there's like a weird, there's a little bit of a weird delay. Um, I'm sorry. I just left the restaurant and got in my car so I could uh, speak privately. Oh, so you know what? It must have been, it must have been the, you got the Bluetooth thing going? Yeah. There you go. Off. That was right. good. No, but, now, now it's fine. Um, okay. I, I'm just looking at, uh, at, at the website, ClintonStreetBaking.com. And uh, Thanksgiving section, actually, um, you you you've always offered things through the retail shop, but uh, you've made it a little bit more formal with the uh, the pies and the biscuits to go. 
Well, we, we're doing so much um, early next week with people picking up and uh, doing orders in advance. And, you know, we added our jalapeno cornbread this year. We're Ooh. making pies for both our locations. So we're just getting uh, busier and we're more streamlined. And um, we also launched our catering on our website, which we're doing all of our greatest hits um, uh, that you can get in small for small and large parties to pick up at the restaurant and we'll even deliver it. So um, if you're on ClintonStreetBaking.com, you can see everything that we're offering. We're catering, we're cooking, we're restaurant, we're bakery, we're Steve Bick, we're everywhere. <laughs> you are everywhere. And, of course, you know, for those, uh, the, the two locations, of course, uh, you know, down on Houston, Houston and Clinton Street, the, the, the flagship location, yeah. and then, of course, at Dumbo. And uh, so anybody in Brooklyn uh, can make it over to uh, uh, yeah, to, to what, uh, what's the thing called? I, I, I it's forget. called uh, Time Out Market Time Out on Market. Water on Water Street in Dumbo, and um, and we're also we just celebrated ten years of our um, Clinton Street Baking Company in Tokyo. Lovely. So um, that's it. That's, those are our top three. Uh, choices for the for the week <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the choices uh for all of our listeners that that look forward to you know your insights and and some tips and i guess the first order of business neil this year any any you know every year it seems that there's some trends and and you know some some things that get kind of stylish you know we talked about spatchcocking the last few yep. years what what do you what do you sense in terms of taking the temperature out there uh, what what what's the the new thing for this season you know it's really funny you mentioned that because i had a consultation with one of um, our friends who lives in the west village and she wanted my advice so we went over and had dinner at her house she wanted my advice for uh, thanksgiving and the first thing she asked me was should i spatchcock the turkey and i told her absolutely that is taking away so much time and effort from everyone's schedule, everyone's so busy, everyone doesn't have enough time, and you're really cutting your roasting time in half. I know that there are certain people that are traditional that want to that whole turkey on the table or on the buffet, but the, for me, that's those days are gone. Um, have it butterflied, take the back out, uh, take the giblets out, use that for your uh, roast and roasting and for your gravy. And the spatchcocking of the turkey makes every single part of the skin crispy. And that is a favorite of everyone's. So I would say yes, do it and forego all the traditional bullshit of, uh, you know, the Thanksgiving table. Well, and, and there's nothing. I mean, we, we happen to have two beautiful, uh, I got two giant Fiesta Ware uh, service platters. And right. that we use every you know that we we use every year, um, mm -hmm. it, and it's just as the the presentation is just as beautiful with you know the breast spread out you know sliced yep. uh, and yep. you know with the two wings with the two drumsticks. I'm actually yeah. and I'll I'll introduce this portion. I didn't talk to you ahead of time like we sometimes do, but I'm actually going a step further. I've never personally spatchcocked, but. Uh, my man Denny Yushak, uh, Denny is going to take the backbone off and you save it. You save that for soup, 
And the rest of it, he's going to cut it up for me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to roast it whole. And I'm actually going to cook it on Tuesday. I I read a tremendous piece on Epicurious about uh, about cooking in a roasting bag and, and doing the pieces individually ahead of time. You get a little benefit of the steaming, and then when I reheat, the the skin will crisp up when I reheat on Thursday. Yeah, you could do it. Um, you could definitely do it that way. You could break it down into pieces. You know, the dark meat cooks different than the white. You can overcook the dark meat, and it's still very forgiving. You know, the wings and the thighs and the legs, and you could even, you know, you could even debone those pieces and have it easier when you go to roast it, re- reheat it at a high temp and slice it without even dealing with any of the bone or cartilage or anything like that. So definitely... Good idea. Um, ask me some questions. Here we go. And for those that are looking for it, Epic, just type in Epicurious. Uh, tur- thank, right, uh, just punch in Thanksgiving Flex. The ultimate Thanksgiving Flex is the turkey you cooked on Monday. Uh, I'm going to do it Tuesday after the show. Uh, let's let's get to a couple of the things that everybody you know everybody seems to struggle with, and. A lot of it is is timing. I, I, we talk about this every year, Neil. Um, I, I now have the advantage of three ovens. I've got the old oven in the basement, and I've got the new uh, oven. It's got two different, you know, there's two different ovens. So I now have three. So I've, I've alleviated that stress. But for the people that have one oven, what do you recommend the easiest things to get out of the way as as either as early on Wednesday, if possible, what make ahead items can alleviate the stress on Thursday? That's a great question. I was talking with my friend Jane about that because she's nervous. She's having like ten people, and she wants to know. And this is what I told her. I said, Jane, make certain make your menu first thing. You got to make your menu so you know what. You can put in the microwave to reheat and steam. You know what you can serve room temp. You know what you can serve out of the fridge, whether it's a relish or pickles or a coleslaw or cranberry sauce. Know what you need to saute on the stovetop, like whether it's green beans or Brussels sprouts or something like that. And then know what you need to go into your oven, whether it's sweet potatoes or stuffing or the spatchcock turkey or any other casserole or any other thing that can be baked in the oven. So it's kind of like um, really looking at your entire menu and then sectioning it in things so that it all comes together and you're not stressed out about pulling something out of the oven and then worrying about what the flavor is going to be like if it's not super hot. You know what I mean? Yes, and I and I'm glad you you mentioned that and and put it in those terms because what you know what items can be reasonably offered up at room temperature. Also, what items are then potentially uh, warmed up when hot gravy arrives on the table? Well, that's a great point, Steve, because hot gravy alleviates uh-huh. a lot. A lot of it. Uh-huh. If you if you roast your turkey, right, like you're doing it, and then you're popping it in the oven or under the broiler to crisp the skin and get it hot. It doesn't have to be super hot. It's fully cooked. So pull it out, put it on your beautiful Fiesta Ware platter, 
And have it be room temp to warm. The gravy, if it's hot off the stove into a few pitchers on the table, will make the turkey hot. So that's a huge component. That's your protein right there. Exactly. Um, and, and those kind of things, if you're a home cook, if you're worried about the timing, um, look, we all know that when you make something the next day, and I've said this before, the flavors are always better. You know, um, when you uh, blanch green beans or if you uh, pre-cook uh, Brussels sprouts and then roast them in the oven to get them crispy, those vegetables for me on the table are just as good warm and room temp as they are piping hot. There's enough piping hot things on the plate that you don't have to worry. I mean, if you make a great bowl of mashed potatoes or garlic mashed or, uh, you know, mashed potatoes with a flavoring or herbs or whatever, and you put them in a ceramic bowl and microwave them for two or three minutes, right. they'll be so steaming hot and beautiful that you'll just put them on the table. Well, and and that you know you mentioned the you mentioned mashed potatoes, and, and in fact we we don't even offer them anymore. Uh, they they we go back to that crazy uh, hybrid Hanukkah uh, Thanksgiving, uh, the year that uh, I made I had to make latkes uh, because Hanukkah was the same you know overlapping with with Thanksgiving, and people went right. crazy and nobody touched the mashed potatoes. And then huh. s- subsequently, uh, I started to introduce the au gratin that is now right. it, it has also now superseded mashed but for those that are insisting on mashed one revelation that's come is that they don't have to be made on the same timing as as everything else coming to fruition uh, people have realized that they can make mashed potatoes at, you know at, the day before at, the, the, day, the before, day before or yep. or you know in the morning 11 o'clock at morning noon. exactly it, people used to be scared to do that they thought that it would right. get lumpy and all this but that stopped Totally. And also, you know, your gratin, your potato gratin, that's the kind of thing that if you even make it a day or two days before and fully cook it, when you finish that in the oven on the top shelf of an oven and it gets, you know, it gets nice and crunchy and brown from the Parmesan or from the cream or from whatever the bechamel you're using to make the gratin, it's going to be hot in the middle because those kind of things stay hot for a long time. Stuffing, too, of course. Stuffing can be prepped, obviously. You're you're prepping stuffing the day before easily. Ease two days before. It gets better and better. Exactly right. In fact, run run your additions. I I want you to do two things. Um, Your favorite add-ons in stuffing, things that people might not uh, expect. And then you have to give everybody your uh, cranberry sauce suggestions. Because one thing you and I try to do every year is convince people to stop buying canned or jarred cranberry sauce. Buy a bag of cranberries. And, yep. and let them burst, and and you, yep. it's so simple to make a, a, a cranberry sauce that that's going to make people's heads explode. Even Steve, even a, a a bag of fresh cranberries without cooking them. There's a great recipe there that I used to use that one of my old sous chefs used, which was with raw cranberries and marinated. For a day or two, an orange juice, a little Grand Marnier, a little uh, liqueur flavoring, some sugar, some lemon juice, a cinnamon stick, and then let it macerate. And it's this phenomenal textured, beautiful cranberry sauce that's raw. Like a ceviche, so, like, a, like a cranberry ceviche. 
yeah, like a ceviche. Absolutely. That whole um, thing. Because once you either puree um, or chop them fine, cranberries, they release that gelatinous right. quality that they have when you cook them. So um, there's a lot of... Um, uncooked cranberry sauce recipes on the internet if you just google like um oh what was my uh, go-to magazine for a while it wasn't bon appetit but it was uh savoir sure um sure savoir is a really nice thing where you know a lot of restaurants chefs and people uh, from all different states um put their best uh recipes for you know an uncooked cranberry sauce or a cooked cranberry sauce or um anything like that so um those uh, you know i'm uh, i'm a big fan of both and i'm a big fan of um Making that cranberry sauce a couple of days and Absolute. letting it sit in the fridge and letting it develop all those wonderful tart and sweet and sour flavors. Uh, Tina, I, I blew Tina's mind when the 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 year that uh, the first Thanksgiving and and she had never had a cooked you know. A, a, from scratch, cranberry sauce, and, uh, right. and now it's her absolute. I mean, yeah. it's life changing. It really yeah. is. It's yeah. life changing because um, you know the days of the canned stuff are gone. Yeah. You can't. There's, there's so much beautiful fresh produce out there. I just came yesterday from the farmers market at Union Square and I bought 150 pounds of apples um, <laughs> for, for apple pies. I love so it. Using, I, and, and I have a picture yeah. of my chef, Juan, waiting for me to pick them up with cider and apples and bags and cases and boxes. Um, so that stuff is just so inspiring, whether you're making, you know, an apple pie or, uh, you know, yesterday I made an app, a, a salad with winter greens with roasted apples and candied walnuts. Nice. And I love stuff like that. It's great roughage. It's sweet. It's tart. It's, you know, uh, all of the fall stuff. Um, that's another thing, you know, room temp things that you can compose a beautiful wilted or winter salad with a little radicchio or endive or kale and then toss at the last minute with a little blue cheese or walnuts and roasted apples or even some roasted cranberries. That is an amazing salad. I know a lot of people don't do salad on Thanksgiving, but day before, day after, lunch, stuff like that. Give us a, a couple of pieces, too. I want to, I want to get a dessert uh, treatment in from you. And, and, I mean, the easiest way, of course, is to, is to have any of the, the fabulous pies. Uh, if, if you're in proximity to uh, Clinton Street, uh, obviously. But uh, if not, uh, I'm, I'm store buying this year. I mean, I'm not a big pie maker anyway. Um, but uh, a quick uh, treatise for you on, on desserts and dessert options. And, sure. and also, uh, Neil, give us uh, some appetizer thoughts uh, going in. Uh, um, yeah, I'll go back to the stuffing thing a little yeah. bit. You know, um, I'm a, you know, you know my family and my wife is, is a traditional sage and sausage or sage and sourdough bread stuffing, traditional with lots of onions and herbs and sage and rosemary and thyme and sourdough croutons and beautiful chicken stock. You can't go wrong with that as your base. But if you wanted to kick it up a notch, right, 
You could saute some wild mushrooms. You could crumble some sausage. You could do a little uh, chorizo. You could even roast some oysters out of the shell. You could make that stuffing into anything with the addition of something salty, something spicy, something woodsy, something, you know, from the earth. That's, uh, I think... Um, a way to take that stuffing and bring it up a level or mix it up a little bit. I love it. Um, as far as the desserts go, you know, um, I was just making some notes earlier about the pies, the basic pies can always be elevated with something very simple. If you get a container of creme fraiche or if you just do a little whipped cream with a touch of cinnamon in it and a little bit mm. of brown sugar and then you put a dollop on that piece of pie, it transforms it from a, whatever pie, if you're buying it, if you're making it, if you're picking up at Clinton Street, if you're buying it at Whole Foods or a, a great... Um, ice cream, like a great vanilla ice cream with a little of the cranberry sauce even like swirled into it. Interesting, right? yep. Those kind of things, one garnish, one little tip, one little nuance of taking something sweet as your base dessert or even a sauce. Um, we make a phenomenal apple cider gastrique or an apple cider syrup where we take apple cider, reduce it down with some maple syrup and then glaze it that over a pie um, or over a pudding or over whatever you're doing. It just elevates it and makes it so much more delicious and complex. And people think you're like, a, you know, you're a genius. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> uh, Neil, we got about uh, two and a half minutes. It, it, uh, a quick appetizer suggestion and uh, uh, in terms of cocktails or, or punch or, you know, uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, etc. Got it. Um, again, like appetizers and stuff, you know, uh, we don't do a lot. If we do anything, it'll be a shrimp cocktail with a great cocktail sauce or a mustard sauce like a Joe's Stone Crab. Um, we're, we're big these years on crudite. You know, there's nothing wrong with eating some great vegetables with a great dip, a Roquefort dip, a Thousand Island dip, um, just some great carrot sticks or raw, you know, Brussels sprout leaves, endive, um, hmm. Not not just the traditional boring celery and carrots and cherry tomatoes, but sugar snap peas, um, any uh, a little bit of sliced fennel. When you take those raw vegetables and um, just put them in a dip, they're really addicting and they're great and they're so helpful and they don't fill you up yeah. so that you can't really enjoy the entree. How about how about a, a you do a punch? Uh, you, uh, what kind of a you know? There's a lot of opportunity uh, this time of year. Totally. You know, we're not we're not big drinkers in my house. I mean, we might pop a, open a glass of uh, prosecco or whatever, but a, a non-alcoholic punch is fantastic. And on Christmas Eve, we do a big catering. Um, we do a big catering on Christmas Eve where we do a. Um, well, we use cranberry and we use pomegranate and we use um, what are those flowers that are edible, the red flowers. Sure. Um, can't think of the name right now. But uh, lots of different uh, fall juices, cranberry juice, 
pomegranate juice, ginger ale, um, you know, a whole cranberries floating, oranges or mandarin, or you could use some blood orange juice and make your own concoction of a great punch, add a, a lot of ice cubes, and then finish with a little ginger ale or club soda. And that's so refreshing and delicious. Well, and, if, and I saw just on uh, Instagram the other, the other day somebody doing the ice float uh, where they, they lined they lined a bunt pan with, uh, you know, with cranberries and, and, and orange slices and whatnot, and, and then freeze and froze it. Yes, and then that becomes a floating centerpiece, yep. like a floating wreath uh, in the I middle of the, the punch bowl. Really, really yep. nice. We take, we take like a sour cream container and load it up with all, you know, cinnamon sticks. Yes, 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 yes. And cranberries and freeze it overnight and unmold it and pour the punch over that. Love it. Love it. And it floats and it's pretty and yeah. it's nice. Yep. And Neil. And put a ladle in it with some glasses and you're set. And, and if you want alcohol in it, rum is always good in it. It goes well with those fruit juices, Prosecco or light champagne. Um, something sparkling, though, Steve, you know, to make yes. it effervescent. Well, nobody's more effervescent than celebrity chef Neil Kleinberg, the Clinton Street Baking Company. And, uh, Neil, we'll get everybody ClintonStreetBaking.com. If you're close by, thanks a lot. Get the biscuits, uh, get the cornbread, get the pies. I've had them all. Neil, uh, healthy, uh, happy, thanks. enjoy, and uh, we'll see you soon. Give my love to Tina. I will, and uh, best and wishes. And one shout out, Steve, to Jay Curtis' his birthday today. Hey, I love it. Partner, partner right. Jay. Thank you, buddy. Okay. There it is, Neil Kleinberg, and uh, we blasted through it. Clinton Street Baking Company, uh, the best uh, breakfast, the best, best, not just limited to breakfast in New York City, but uh, famous for the, the pancakes and everything else. Uh, there it is, Neil Kleinberg, Dave Hill, Joe Clancy, Gary Palmasano Jr., Chris Block, Matt Hegarty. Uh, we'll get Tony. I, got, I, I owe Tony a call. Good luck if you're playing today, everybody. Safe trip to Javier and uh, Scherzando in the sixth today. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Twin Spires weekend preview at the races and uh, stream should be back tomorrow as well and uh, brian will get the archive up as soon as possible thanks everybody talk to you in the morning
is when the times of freedom ring. I hear what you're saying. I hear what he's saying. Is what was true. Now no longer so. Summertime song Fall on the apple Fall on the apple 